Hey everyone, it's Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise Podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. A quick program note, we're on a summer break, and we'll be back after Labor Day with a bunch of brand new episodes. In the meantime, here's one of my favorites from the archives. It was recorded in September of 2016 with New Zealander Billy Jordan. Billy's energy and her attitude about aging are truly inspiring. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Here's the show. In February 2011, Billy Jordan was working for the Christchurch New Zealand City Council when a major earthquake struck the city. She was injured in the quake and she witnessed the death of others around her. But after surviving the earthquake and an abusive childhood, Billy decided it was time to make a radical change in her life. She moved to a small island and founded the Hip Operation Dance Academy, which is tailored for people in their senior years. Billy and her dance company are showcased in the award-winning documentary Hip Operation, which follows 27 senior citizens who Billy trained, managed, and cared for on the road to their competing at the 2013 World Hip Hop Championships in Las Vegas, Nevada. In 2014, the documentary was released to wide acclaim, and the following year, Billy won the Kiwi Bank New Zealander of the Year Award in the Local Hero category. In June of 2016, she was awarded the Member of the New Zealand Order of Merit by Her Majesty the Queen. Folks, hang on to your hats because Billy Jordan is here to share her amazing, life-affirming journey. She joins us from Waiheke Island off the east coast of Auckland, New Zealand. Billy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a real privilege. It's, it's great to talk to you. Let's start with your telling us a little bit about your life before you moved to the island. I know you have a background in public relations and marketing. What was your day-to-day life like back in 2011? I had just moved to Christchurch where the earthquake was about six weeks earlier. And I bought a house about three days before the earthquake, which of course was the end of my life savings. And so I was just working in PR and marketing all my life. I had been a consultant to the government in New Zealand for about nine years in public relations. And so I was doing a lot of work that was, you know, shallow, really, <laughs> and, very, and, and meaningless. So I got a job with the local council, which, you know, wasn't my dream job. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the earthquake struck, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm not just going to die now. I'm going to be, oh, the ex-council worker died in earthquake. And oh, that's, that's, on, that's on my tombstone. I thought, oh, my gosh, if this is it. So I felt like there was more I could be doing in my life than what I was doing. And I'm extremely privileged to survive because about... 200 people just meters from me uh, they were crushed to death or burnt alive so and you saw that that. yeah I mean and I already had post-traumatic stress disorder from a you know a very abusive childhood with both parents and um, Mm. it really just re-triggered it so my fear of being killed sort of you know returned stronger than ever and then about a week after the earthquake you know I, I became homeless I was you know, there was just nowhere for me to go. Yeah. And I also had a little a little dog, and so oh. you couldn't go into a welfare centre uh, with a dog. So I, I thought, well, I'll just get out of here. And New Zealand split into three different islands. 
And so I wanted to get off the island I was on, which was the South Island, Mm -hmm. and I moved to the North Island, and then that still didn't feel safe enough, so I moved to this little little dot of an island just off the east coast of Auckland. And that's Waiheke, where you are now, eh? Yeah, I mean, the tallest building, there's one building that's two stories high. Oh, my gosh. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the roads are dirt. Uh, There's no traffic lights. We get our water from our roof, you know, and that dribbles into a tank, and then we pump it into the house. Wow. Yeah, so so there's not I mean there's a few footpaths and stuff, but I mean it's it's very much back in the 50s, you know, there's horses that go around on the beach and wow. you you don't lock your door. I think I mm. I found my front door key about 2 years ago. So <laughs> um I so uh, but I I haven't used it. I haven't used it for maybe about 18 months. So it's very safe. And very sort of, yeah, I mean, it's safe in lots of ways. So, <laughs> And you it, can't, it what a culture shock, though, for you, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, there's lots of bits of New Zealand that are like that, that are still right. very, you know, right. very old-fashioned. So we're, you know, very privileged to be in a country where that sort of lifestyle is accessible. Uh, so when you moved to the island, did you have any idea that you would start a dance academy for seniors? And <laughs> tell, us how, tell us how that came about. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so random, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't you know, know anyone. I didn't have a job. And everybody in my age group, I'm 47, you know, they were off working and everything. So the only people I sort of met around the show were senior citizens. And I noticed that, like me, they couldn't really see a future. You know, I expected to be killed at any second and that there was no point in planning a future because I was going to die. And that, um, you know, I was so traumatized. And then I found that they were the same as me. You know, they weren't planning for long futures. They thought the best times in their life were behind them. Mm. And then the next big event in their life was dying. And they felt, there was a lot of them that felt, you know, isolated. Um, a lot of them felt depressed. So I really identified with that. And I thought, well, is this it? And obviously, I, you know, you do feel hugely guilty. It's a normal response mm-hmm. when you survive something and other people don't. And I thought, gosh, those people that didn't make it would give anything to be in my shoes. So maybe I should make the most of it. And maybe we should just all go out dancing if that's how we're you know, mm-hmm. going to live. But of course, I didn't know how to dance. So, <laughs> so, uh, so what I did is I thought, well, I'd seen all these flash mobs, and I thought they're so life affirming and so much fun. I thought I'll set up the world's oldest flash mob to get my elderly neighbours out of their houses onto the street and dancing. So, mm-hmm. I can you explain what a flash mob is for people who don't know who are listening to this? Yeah, a flash mob has got three components uh, to it. It's a surprise dance performance. So what happens first is one person just starts dancing in public mm-hmm. and then others, you know, it's obviously rehearsed behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Others seem to randomly come in and join right. that person. Mm-hmm. So there's that element of surprise. The second component is that they all dance the same coordinated moves. So uh, it looks like, you know, well, everybody's a better dancer than they are, but because, mm-hmm. you know, you're rehearsing it behind closed doors and so then you can get hundreds of people all just joining in from this one person dancing so and then the third element is that after you finish that dance 
uh, you just leave, you walk off. Uh-huh. Um, and that's one of the most crucial parts of a flash mob. You don't hang around for gratification and thank yous and uh-huh. uh, you just leave. So it just gives that sort of random happiness that life can just be fantastic at any given moment and then disappear. So I just drove around the island in, in my black van looking for anyone age 65 and over. And uh, I wasn't sure where old people really lived or what, you know, like where they hung out. So I went to the Return Servicemen Association and put up flyers in the medical centres and mm-hmm. I knocked on doors and went to the retirement village and talked to them and went to different clubs and talked to them. And then I went to any of those houses, you know, where there's like potted plants and those, um, you know, archways, plastic uh-huh. archways and dwarfs. <laughs> a dead you know, giveaway if there ever was one. <laughs> yeah, I thought, that's what I thought. They were, I mean, I was right, you know, half the time. But uh, Reaffirming half the time your own age of stereotypes. Yeah, exactly. Terrible stereotypes. Well, we've all got and, them. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't really know much about old people. And uh, <laughs> so, and then I went to a local craft shop because I realized they sold balls of wool. And in my mind, bulls of wool are like catnip for old people. <laughs> so this is my, you know, yes, terribly stereotypical idea. So I went there and then um, they didn't have any old people for me in the <laughs> shop. I gave them my details and I was just about to drive away. And the shopkeeper came running out with a local church deacon by his collar, 92-year-old. And she goes, I got one, I got one. <laughs> wow. uh, so I ended up by... Getting eighty of them. <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, which is quite a fair chunk uh, given the size of the island. And then basically they did, you know, they did flash mob performances around the island, and we went, you know, on the boat over to Auckland. Uh, Auckland's got a population of about I don't know one one point five million. Mm-hmm, um, so mm-hmm. it's a big contrast. But you can get mm-hmm. there by boat by forty five minutes mm-hmm. over the ocean, so it's accessible. So we did stuff there, but. And once I was sort of becoming more ingrained in their lives uh, over the months that we did this, I noticed how other people in their family and their friends sort of treated them. And and it was sort of like, you know, they didn't have any expectations of them to do well or to -hmm. do a good job in anything. They'd say, oh, don't get that, Nana, I'm much faster at doing it. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, well, just have a good time. I don't expect you to do well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was like, how demoralizing is that? I mean, you can imagine if you're a teenager, if everybody around you as a teenager said, look, don't even bother studying because you'll never get a job. Right. You know, you're never going to do well. Um, just give up now because everybody else is much better at you than every, at everything. So, so just don't worry about it. Yes. So what sort of response did you get from the older folks when you approached them? I mean, you were paying attention to them in a way that other yes. folks hadn't. Yes. I- uh, yes. Well, that's right. I mean, so that was in the flash mob phase. And then, yeah, I mean, they thought that there was people in the island that sort of were very suspicious of me uh-huh. uh, because, <laughs> you know, the stranger coming onto the island and getting all these old people in the back of my van, you know. <laughs> right, well, sure. Of... <laughs> I mean, there are all kinds of possibilities there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, it re- I didn't really get big reactions until I actually decided to form them into a hip-hop dance group. Because uh-huh. in the flash mob, they were just doing sort of whatever type of dance. Right. I don't know what right. we'd call it. Right. Um, and it why wasn't hip-hop? hip-hop anyway. 
Well, yeah, I chose hip hop because it was the last thing that people would expect old people to be doing. You know, there's lots of things where old people are singing modern songs, but that's actually not really interesting. <laughs> it's just not. And then there's old people doing ballroom dancing. It's right. like, well, we all Which expect a, that. It's, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I saw the terrible stigma that old people were experiencing from society um, and from their families and everything. So I decided let's just throw sort of a spanner in the works yep. <laughs> with all of those prejudices. So I decided on hip-hop. You know, there's just no old people that do it. And then also there I had now. to learn hip-hop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are now, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, and then I had to uh, learn how to dance. I had no idea how to dance. It was dreadful. So I got some books out in the library, and that was no use. And then I got onto YouTube, and so I learned how to do some hip-hop moves through YouTube uh-huh. and then choreographed some dance routines and stuff. Uh-huh. And then I gathered up the people and said, right, I'm going to make you a hip-hop dance group. That's what you are now. And the goal is, in about eight months' time, you're going to go onto the other side of the world and perform at the Hip Hop World Championships. Now, I had some that just walked out, <laughs> yeah, which I you'd bet. expect. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, then, it's a throwdown, then, you know. <laughs> well, it was, exactly. And then others just going, oh, you know, I mean, this is just... But then there was others that were curious. Sure. And they'd got to know me over the the last sort of four or five months, and they knew that I believed passionately in their potential. And so about 40 of them sort of hung around, and that's when I got sort of bad reactions from people in the community because they felt that I was setting up these old people for failure, you know, at this stage in their life. And um, and I was, I was worried about that myself, like, you know, do I give them an incentive to live, you know, at this point in their life or just, mm-hmm. I, do, you know, just leave them alone, let them just carry on getting depressed and die. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, they were so alive. I wasn't charging, of course, anything for it. Uh, uh-huh. And I was picking up a lot of them, you know, taking them there and back to rehearsals. They didn't really have anything to lose. And... There are and only so many bingo games the- you can play too, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Or, or whatever and they play over there in New Zealand. <laughs> what, yeah, what do, I, don't, I don't know. What do we play? Well, uh, we, I don't know. What, I don't know. You haven't reached uh, the stage yet where you need to really concern yourself with that, I suppose. I mean, you know, you're 47. Yeah. So, but where did you, yeah. where did you, pra- where were you practicing? Initially, you we, mm-hmm. we, yeah, I hired a community hall and I was covering that cost myself, but then I mm-hmm. thought, well, I, you know, I, I hadn't, didn't have any money and, the demands from them became so huge that I had to stop working altogether and just mm. live off selling possessions and things. So I asked them all to pay a dollar towards it, and I lost a few over that. <laughs> so, uh-huh. But that was good because obviously they weren't really that into it. So I did have people that were, you know, in the community that were thinking, well, we'll just wait and see. And, and they didn't have much support. And I felt really sad that they didn't have the support that I would have hoped they got. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd shake a punt and um, I'd take my group down to sort of pr- pretty much the most sort of impoverished area of New Zealand, mm-hmm. high crime rate, basically sort of considered like the Bronx of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. took them down there and hooked up with all these street dancers, these young kids. 
mm. in this big garage. Where, Sorry, what's the word? Um, like a tin shed, like a oh, garage. Oh, okay. I know? got it. Mm-hmm. A garage, yeah. like a big warehouse. And so... I introduced my group to these kids mm. and I was really nervous about whether they would make fun of them. And my, my dance group did their first public performance in front of these kids who were all hip-hop dancers themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, I was so scared that they may make fun of them and ridicule them, but they didn't. They were so supportive and they clapped and they cheered and they cried. Wow. And ever since then, you know, that was nearly four years ago, uh, Mm -hmm. we've been as tight as anything. And Mm -hmm. they have been the most amazing kids. And it showed my older people just how open-minded young people can be and how valuable that is. Mm -hmm. Because some of them were the attitude of the young people these days, da-da-da. Right. And then they realized, well, the kindness and the openness, you know, of these younger people are incredible. Mm -hmm. And that that value is much higher than the judgmental views of their own peers. And these young people got a huge amount of respect from my group. Uh A lot of them had never been shown respect from an adult. Uh And my group were asking them for advice and saying, you know, how do you do this move and how do you do that move and how do you calm your nerves before a performance? And they became my dancers' mentors. And Uh there was sort of, you know, up to 80 years (laughs) uh, or even more, you know, age difference. Wow. So, yeah, we became very tight. And, and these kids actually ended up by making it to the world champs. So we were in Las Vegas together. Oh, wow. Uh, which was an incredible experience. <laughs> That's really awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and, and uh, they're all young adults uh, right. now, and we're very close still. So I know that the Academy, you have a mission statement. Can you talk about the mission of the Academy and um, what expectations you think people have about aging? Yeah, I mean, our mission is pretty much to, you know, maximize the potential of senior citizens all over the world. And in terms of our hip operation crew, our mission in that is to reduce the stigma of aging through entertainment because we are actively challenging misperceptions and prejudices of older people, but in a way that's digestible. Because as you know, when you're trying to get social change occurring, some people who are aggressive and angry and write letters to the editor or whatever, people just switch off. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be positive, mm. and that way you can really engage in people. And we've had so much feedback that people are starting to change their prejudices of older people and to understand that it's just your skin that's getting wrinkly. There's nothing else going on there. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still young. I had people also that were like oh, well, it doesn't matter if they don't get the world champs as long as they get out of the house and get some exercise. And, you know, we were going for a really big goal and nobody would say that to an athlete who wants to aim for the Olympics. You wouldn't say, look, it doesn't matter if you don't get a medal or don't do well as long as you get out of the house and get some Mm, exercise. (laughs) So I was so surprised at that. We're really not about that exercise. What we are about is that social stimulation. And sure, we, you know, you get exercise by doing it, but it's certainly not our thing. We're not running an exercise class at all. We're going for gold, you know. And, and my group, they won their division at the Auckland Hip Hop Regional Championships in February this year and got a score as higher than, than lots of young people up to 88 years younger. And that's what we're about. My group, I got, you know, 27 went to Las Vegas, performed at the World Champs. Mm -hmm. And then I I noticed that 
you know, there were some that sort of, you know, it was just a social thing, which is great, but there was a lot of complaints I had to deal with. They're just a group of people, so it doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether you're young or old. You mm-hmm. have a group of people together for four years. You're going to get some people who just moan no matter what you do. Right. Uh, and that's any age group. You know, mm-hmm. you get that with a group of five-year-olds or 30-year-olds. But I had some that were so keen to just go ahead, and they weren't necessarily all the youngest dancers. So my dance group now that I focus on is, is age 72 to 96 years old. Okay. And they're incredibly committed and very passionate, and that's what I put my energy into because they want to prove a point and they want to inspire senior citizens to know you know what they can achieve mm-hmm. at a later stage in their life mm-hmm. you said 72 uh-huh. to 96 mm-hmm. okay. yeah so the average age is 80 which okay. you know it's that's young in our, in our right. world so when my group came back from las vegas and you know i had one of them say to me look i, I didn't realize i could achieve stuff like this you mm. know that's just crazy at this stage of my life and I said, well, there's so much more you can achieve. You know, what have you ever wanted to do? And she said, oh, I've always wanted to go backpacking. I was like, well, you should. You're only 94. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when she got back home, six weeks later, she was off backpacking on her own in Asia. So what? She was 94. And the nice thing is, you know, she, you know, her memory's not that great, but people do take care of her. And my group all had a pact of anyone died dancing. You know, you just step over them and carry on. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, well, and what a, what a way to go, right? Sure, why um, not? Absolutely. And so they performed in Las Vegas in 2013, and so that was, what, three years ago. Nobody that's ever been in my group has died. Mm-hmm. They're all alive and fit and well. The doctors say they're about 15 years younger than their peers because we're on an island, we've got one supermarket, so everybody buys their food from the same thing. All our rainwater is the same, of course, so you can compare apples with apples very easily. And there's been quite a few studies, medical studies, and the BBC came and did a program interviewing the doctors of my group. Um, And yeah, they said they're about 15 years younger. And it's really because they have expectations of them. When I'm teaching them, they can't pull the age card. They've all got medical conditions. All of them have got arthritis. One's blind. One's mm. deaf. This is just in the in the, just in the seven. There's yeah. One's blind. One's deaf. One uses a mobility aid. Three wear hearing aids. Aren't deaf, but wear hearing aids. Um, oh. Two have had open heart surgery. There's about eight hip and knee replacements. Uh-huh. One just had a heart attack about three weeks ago. Another one's had a bad stroke. And this is just in the wow. season, right? Right. Who, 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 you know, it doesn't make any difference. And they're all in Japan right now. They're performing in Japan and Tokyo. Um, and they're doing back-to-back TV shows and interviews. Oh, um, my gosh. Do they have a tour manager? How come, you, how come you're not with them? Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to go, but it was an all-expenses-paid thing where everybody, you know, got paid mm-hmm. to go. But mm-hmm. there was only five tickets, and they mm-hmm. wanted four dancers and me. But, you know, I'm young. I've got more years on me. Mm. So I wanted five of them to go. It's obviously really hard because they're having, like, amazing time, and I can't share in it. But it's really great that they get that experience, that they can travel on their own. They don't need me. They can do these things on their own. They can... 
Yeah, they they're can your little the birds world. that you're sending off into the world. <laughs> I know, I it's, miss them so much. I'll bet you do. <laughs> well, they've become your family, haven't they? Yeah, they're my family. And it was really scary seeing them sort of fly off, knowing that everybody I love in the world is on that one plane. Oh, I can yeah, imagine. I well, you talked earlier about some of the demands that were being placed on you. What sort of things did you have to do that were not training-related, dance-related? Yeah. Well, it was like everything. It was I, I, that's what I wasn't prepared for when I opened. I sort of said to them, "Look, I believe in you, and I'm here for you, and I'm committed to your personal growth and you achieving an extraordinary goal. I'm going to do everything in my power to help you achieve that and to build your self-esteem and to help you grow." They grabbed onto it with both hands, and I didn't know what had hit me. I remember telling them please do not call me after 11 at night. I soon became the granddaughter, the tradesperson at their house, the nurse, the carer. I would look after some of them when they were sick, you know, so I'd be around there. Um, one of them in particular, the oldest one, um, I became very close with and I would always nurse her when she was sick and make all her meals and go over there every day and massage her back so that she could clear her chest. Wow. Yeah, and, you know, cut their toenails and how cut on their earth, hair. How on earth did you maintain your own energy level with all the work you were doing, not just uh, choreographing all the dance routines? but Yeah, I mean, the the, the dancing was really easy. I'll it bet. was so difficult. Yeah, I um, I got really sick. Well, I got pneumonia twice. And I was supposed to be going into hospital, but thankfully they could put me on a drip at the local doctors and so that that would allow me to work from my bed because I was trying to raise all this money to get them over to Las Vegas, you see. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'm always doing all the fundraising for that and getting their uniforms and everything. I mean, so that they don't have to pay anything themselves Mm -hmm. because they're all on a pension. So I became everything. I would go to the houses and clean and I'd accompany them to the doctors. This was more the older older ones. Mm-hmm. Um, the younger ones, they were perfectly capable. When I'm talking about younger, I'm talking about 85 and under. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all relative. You know, just the babies. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, the babies in the group. So, yeah, and then, you know, I did have family members that were angry. You know, I had one saying, you're keeping my mother alive, you know, just oh let her gosh. die. You're kidding. Yeah. Wow. No, I mean, that's a reality. There, unfortunately, are some pretty awful kids out there. I mean, the people's kids in my group, of course, they're in their 60s. They don't want to care for their parent. Well, some of them don't, you know. Mm-hmm. And they were more alive. You know, when you went to the house, they didn't pull out their photo albums and talk about the best times were behind them. They mm-hmm. were talking about what they were doing next, you know, what yeah. the big goals were. Some of the kids of my dancers, you know, as I said, are, you know, 50s, 60s, they only saw their parent as a parent. Mm-hmm. And so they were not supportive. They were embarrassed that their parent was going out and doing something that they found fulfilling, but it had nothing to do with them. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, this is my mum, this is my dad. What they're doing, it's nothing about me. And how dare they? And, wow. Uh, and I'm not supporting them. It's embarrassing. They're just making a fool of themselves, and I won't have anything to do with it. And so I still have family members that are like that. And that's because they never saw their parent as a whole person that mm-hmm. had aspirations outside of their children. 
And then I had the ones where if they had a really great relationship with their child and their child knew and saw them as a whole person that had dreams, had things that they wanted to fulfill, they were really excited for their parent and loved it and appreciated some of the work I was doing. I'm sure for, they adored you. I mean, uh, well, <laughs> I'm sure there were, well, I mean, some, I know there were people who resented you probably, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, a gift. There were. I mean, there were some that were really appreciative. And then there's obviously some that, you know, were a bit jealous of me because mm-hmm. I was forming a sort of <laughs> right. daughter type relationship right. with them. Right. And I was doing everything right, you know, and it's, uh-huh. it was really unfair for them because I'm still a stranger and I'm just doing a small part of their life for them. So I had to stop a full-time job. I ended up by having to put out a weekly newspaper just for my group to reduce the number of phone calls and questions I had about everything imaginable so that they were kept well-informed. And a lot of them, of course, don't have emails. So Uh I'd have to go and drive around and put big print notices on their fridge with a magnet or Mm -hmm. drop it off. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything is incredibly labor-intensive. Right. But I was watching them grow, you know, and I have mm-hmm. one member in my dance group. She was pretty much the doormat, you know, with her husband. And I had quite a lot of, especially women who were from that generation where the man was the man of the household mm-hmm. and the woman was the housewife. And if people came around for dinner, they really only had discussions with the husband yeah. while the woman, you know, cle- cleared the plate. But now, you know, they're these famous <laughs> hip-hop dancers. You've liberated these no women. One's in, exactly. They were like, I am not putting up with this anymore. Wow. And people come around for dinner. They don't want to talk to the husband. They want to talk to this hip-hop They're more interesting. You know, hip-hop star. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're more interesting. So it's the man that clears the plates and stuck in the kitchen. <laughs> and the woman's off traveling and doing gigs. And <laughs> wow. How surprised yeah. were you by some of the reactions of the kids and the reaction yeah. of your charges. How surprised were you by all this? Yeah, I was really surprised. I thought that older people would be really supportive of them, and they are, like, outside of this island. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect the support of the younger people. When they performed in Las Vegas, the uh, venue was like this massive Orleans centre, you know, and they said, we had Justin Bieber here a couple of weeks ago, and the crowd wasn't even as crazy as they went as the crowd was for you know your dancers when they came onto the stage so the kids just love them and and the community here hasn't been very supportive at all I haven't been able to get coverage in the local newspaper Uh, only if I write the article myself and Mm -hmm. provide the photos like we have never been interviewed by our own no and we've been on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and we've been on China oh. TV, I mean, every wow. place in the world. But they think that we're giving the island a bad name because they think that we're bringing American hip-hop culture to this island that should be known for its successful eradication program. So it's, um, wow. yeah, it's that has been really shocking. And on our island, we have the biggest disparity of income in New Zealand. We have people that are poor and living under tarpaulins and canopies in the bush. Mm. And then we have the richest people in New Zealand that live in, you know, up on the hill mm-hmm. in their mansions. You know, Lady Gaga stays here and Miley oh. Cyrus. And Waiheke uh, Island. by helicopter on Waiheke Island. On Waiheke Island. Yeah, so we have the richest people in New Zealand here. But we did a fundraiser and a dance thing and we only got $70. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, yeah, and then 
we've got like one of the richest people in New Zealand. We went to him to help us and he just offered us a bag of sausages and they weren't even cooked. (laughs) (laughs) I think that people like I approached, I've approached every company in the world basically to Mm -hmm. sponsor us. Have you Uh, had success? So far we haven't. No, none. No, we haven't been able to even get a, a sock sponsored <laughs> you know i it's wonder so if it's weird. just because they feel elderly folks are a bad bet i mean they're not long-term customers yeah. they're not future customers which is a really really sad commentary it's i mean so sad it's it's I a business that, decision i, that I get that reason. but there has yeah. to be a I, discretionary funds somewhere yeah i think i think we're making you know i think they're overlooking a big thing because i think they are exactly what you're saying. Like they're thinking that they don't want to sponsor somebody who's going to die. Mm. But um, think what of the inspiration, though. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They should be sponsoring the message, right? Not the person that's wearing the uniform, right? Because we're global. Mm-hmm. So I've set up a hip hop dance academy in every country in the world. Um, just very recently. So I'm currently looking for people to train they do an online course Mm -hmm. they don't have to have any dance experience they just have to be 18 years and over Mm -hmm. they have to have access to a computer because it's online and they get taught how to teach people with dementia hip-hop how to Mm -hmm. do what i did basically and to Mm -hmm. teach a really successful group of older people hip-hop and then i'm having the hip operation crew world championships next year so that people age 55 and over can all come together from all over the world and have a competition. And where is that taking um, place? Uh, I haven't revealed the location okay. yet, but it will be somewhere in the middle of the world where all the dancers are. <laughs> so I'm just going through the stage of, of getting people trained up in different countries at okay. the moment. Um, yeah, so it's a 30-day course. They can do it any time they like. And a lot of people have said, well, how do I teach the members of my dance group with dementia? Because there were lots of them with dementia. And uh, what I do is I focus on their muscle memory because the muscle can form a memory you know, much stronger than the brain does. Mm-hmm. The muscle, unless you're in the very late stages of dementia, very late stages of Alzheimer's, if you want your knee to move when you ask it to, then you've got muscle memory. And that muscle memory is about 15 years old. That's all it is. It's not mm-hmm. as old as your brain at all or mm-hmm. your organs. So I just go through repetitions so that I might get a dancer to do, you know, a one second move maybe 200 times, not all in a row, but maybe 20 repetitions at a time over months. And so when they hear that cue, their muscle just does it. Mm -hmm. Their brain can deteriorate if it wants, and a lot of them, of course, have, but it has made any difference to their dancing. And I had a lot of people who were like, oh, I should really audition my dancers because, of course, you only had to be 65 and over. And I was like, I don't care if you're in a wheelchair or you can't move your legs mm-hmm. or you can't move your arms or you're blind or you're deaf or you've got advanced dementia. You can still be a world-famous hip-hop dancer. <laughs> and so, you know, and I did have some times where I thought, okay, is this crazy? Like, And then I would think maybe I can't get them there. You know, maybe I can't get them up to scratch. And Mm -hmm. then I would think, no, I cannot allow doubt to enter my brain at any point, even at three in the morning where you you go over the day and you go over what you're trying to achieve and it can seem very hard. Mm -hmm. I couldn't allow myself to not visualize them being there because, as you know, like doubt is like a virus. Oh, yeah. And if you give it one second, right, of attention, Mm -hmm. it's gone. And they would smell it. 
they would detect it. You know, I couldn't allow that to happen. So they, it was all, when you get to Las Vegas, this is what you're doing. And I would get them thinking about even the food that they were eating there. I'd mm. get them thinking about the seat on the plane that they were going to be in. You know, all of those mm-hmm. things that made it very mm-hmm. real so that it became a fact. Right. It wasn't if we can get there. Right, it's it was when. when. You get there. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Very clever. So how did the trip go, the actual trip? Tell us. Oh, <laughs> Tell us a bit about that, if you can. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, before we even got there, you know, I had my hands full, I can tell you that, because, of course, it was just me. There wasn't any supporters or people willing to come to help out. So I had 27 of them coming from this island to Las Vegas and all its bells and whistles. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Was this an expense paid for trip? No, we did. Well, we couldn't get a sponsor or any funder. We had that, you know, we had that $70. We sold possessions. Some -hmm. of them cooked for other people to raise money. Some knitted socks. We also did some gigs, and we got a little ad that paid us $12,000. So we shared that money around the people that were especially hard up. So, yeah, and then, of course, we just stayed in a place that was like $25 a night, and Mm -hmm. we were very lucky to get some cheap airfares. So everybody self-funded. And when we got on the plane... I had one member, and she, you know, I had an oxygen tank for her, uh, so that went into her, like her nostrils, this little oh tube. Oh, my gosh. But they were all wanting to see, well, we're going to go out dying, you know, dancing. Right. You know, we're doing, why uh, not? That was, yeah, why not? And, and so I supported them in that. That was their decision, and we talked about it a lot, of course. So when the drinks trolley came around, she said to me, oh, how, how much is it? And I said, it's free. What a mistake. So she's chugging it back. We arrive. They had to clear out everyone off the plane. They got the paramedics on board, and they checked her vitals and said, "Look, she's just really drunk. She's How old alive. Was she? She's not going to die." She was ninety-four. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, yeah. First, they put her in a wheelchair and strapped her in. So we got her, <laughs> got her out onto the terminal. And then um, she was our spokesperson, and we had all these media. You know, oh, my media gosh, you had to sober stuff. her up. Yeah, and she was out to lunch, you know, she was gone. And uh, <laughs> then she started singing happy birthday and things when I don't know whose birthday it was supposed to be. And then I realized, my God, she's got no teeth. Because what had happened, when we were about to land, they served breakfast, and so I tried to sober up with lots of scrambled eggs. Uh-huh. Well, that just didn't work. Uh-huh. So nine sick bags later... Oh. You know, she had emptied herself. And I realized, no, her teeth have gone in one of those sick bags. <laughs> and oh, no. I told the, the airline, and yeah, I was like, well, she's our spokesperson. She's got no teeth. She's absolutely drunk. And <laughs> one of those bags has her teeth in them. Yeah. Oh, well. So they went and they said, oh, there's about 200 sick bags on this plane. That's what we collect in a, in a flight of this long because it's wow, you know, it's a 12 hour flight. Yeah, so anyway, they went through them. They were so nice, and they found her teeth, and they gave them a rinse and shoved them back in her mouth. And um, yeah, and then when we got wow. to the hotel, like I had to carry her in, right, like a like a fireman type of hold, <laughs> right. and showered her down and washed her down. I mean, I had, you know, I mean, there's quite a few with incontinence pads that I had to change over the time, so it wasn't a big oh deal for gosh. that. It was just part of the job. Wow, you're the just you're so battle hardened. Just listening to you. This is like nothing for you. <laughs> no, certainly nothing. Uh, I know because wow. so many people think 
you know, I'm glad you're asking this because most people just think, well, I just turned up, taught them for an hour and left. Oh, and no. Was, I've been um, a caregiver for an 87-year-old mother for the last six years, so, and that's just one well, person, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you know, you know how intimate you have to get. Yeah. <laughs> you wore um, a lot of hats. So wow. exactly. So when I got her to the hotel, like the next day, she was a little bit better. And I said, look, stay in the room. Here's the remote control. I'm going to go off. I've got to follow up on the others and see how they're going. And um, I'll be back in a couple of hours. Anyway, I came back and uh, she she announced that she thought American television was disgusting. <laughs> and how they wa- allow their children to watch television in America, she doesn't understand. I was like, well, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about? She said she turned on the TV and it asked her a series of questions. And she asked her if she was 21 and over and she oh, said no. yes. And if she's an adult and she said yes. Oh, no. <laughs> and then, you know, she told me what came up on the screen. Now, for someone who says she was horrified at what she saw on the screen, she, she knew a lot of details. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> and she said to me, I had no idea they made babies like that. Oh, my gosh. Because, of course, for her generation, it was all procreation. It, it oh, right. wasn't sort of anything, right, you know, right. untoward. Pleasurable. <laughs> I got the bill, of course, because I had to pay for her. She, she was expensive because I got, there was a bill for two. She had watched two. Oh so first one I can admit is an accident, but second one, <laughs> so that was day one, you know. And and, and there yeah. was a film crew following you around. I'm imagining that you yeah. cut, cut them off at certain places. How did, how did they no, react they to everything? No, they filmed all of this stuff. Oh, oh my god! No, gosh. they filmed all of this stuff. They filmed her watching this as well. Oh, my god! Yeah, but it was a family movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> you have the so outtakes, I no, we didn't even get a copy of that. Of the documentary? Of that film. No, we were supposed to get, you know, like a donation to our charity. Uh-huh. And I was supposed to be refunded for the costs I had to outlay, like transporting them around and mm-hmm. meals and mm-hmm. accommodation. Um, no, they got what they wanted in the can. They've made their money. We never even got a copy of the DVD. In fact, when we were at the premiere for it in New Zealand, the producer said to me that she didn't think that the group should be drinking the wine it was for the guests and not us wow it's it's so sad and it's won all these awards but they've never told us that we've just found that out ourselves through doing searches on the internet wow and it's so funny because they won like a second in the human rights documentary awards Mm -hmm. which is like you didn't even give us a cup of tea you know we had you for nine months we couldn't even get a dvd which cost them four dollars so unfortunately, it doesn't matter what you do when you're an older person, you're going to be exploited by people who are going to try and exploit you. And it's so sad that it happened to us when we're trying to avoid that happening to other people. Mm-hmm. We're trying to, and, and like our dance moves, they're all very gangster and tough. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do that deliberately because in hip-hop dancing, it's got lots of different types of hip-hop dancing within that category. And some are, you know, happy and funky and jolly, and, right. and, and some are very tough. And so our style of hip-hop dancing is very gangster, very tough. There's lots of gnashing of teeth and fierce right. faces and mm-hmm. punches and fists and elbows. And I do that to show the public that even if you consider someone old, don't consider them as frail. 
even if their body's not working completely, uh-huh. it doesn't make them frail and it doesn't make them vulnerable. They're very strong because of the years that they've been through, uh-huh. the mental hurdles they've got through in life. So I make sure that every dance move we choreograph or I choreograph and teach them shows their power and their strength. So there's no lavender and lace. It's very aggressive and it's like the haka, if you've seen the haka. Mm-hmm. So it's very, so we, we follow that type of cool. strength. Wow. So, yeah, so it's so sad when we're trying to show that and we were sort of right under, you know, oh, we're no also idea. the victims of exploitation. But mm. So we don't promote that documentary anymore just because it's very been very, very hurtful because we allowed those people into our lives. Mm. But look, uh, a lot of people said, don't yeah. like to hear it, but it is the truth. Yeah. Um, so we can't pretend just because we're doing something that people applaud that we're not victims of these things ourselves. Mm-hmm. We are. But we're what we've yeah. decided as a group is do we do lots of complaining about it and do we write letters to the editor or how do we address this? And we've decided life's so short and life isn't fair, as we all know. Mm. So how do you want to spend your later years? Do you want to be spending them chasing some people who treated you badly? Or do you just want to get on and, and get dancing and, and have fun? Mm. And that's mm-hmm. what we're going. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a good message for people to know that really life is so short. Think carefully about how you want to use it and how much does it really benefit you. Mm-hmm. So... Um, when I set up the dance group, I knew that there'll be people that would doubt them. So I gave each member uh, of my dance group a, a red notebook. And I said to them, like, right, now that people know that our goal is to get to Las Vegas and to perform at the World Hip Hop Championships, you're going to have people that will doubt you and will put you down. What I want you to do is I want you to write their names and addresses in this little red book. And that when we get to Las Vegas, you're going to send them all a postcard. <laughs> and uh, when we did get to Las Vegas, we had our red books, but we decided, you know, we're not going to go and buy a postcard and get the stamps. And that, you know, those people weren't worth it. They weren't worth the time of day. Mm-hmm. And why would we put any more energy into them? So we just ordered another round of margaritas <laughs> and our glasses. And that's how our attitude is towards all of those. Right on. Billy, you changed the lives of so many otherwise ignored or underserved older people. How has all of this changed you? Uh, it's been an incredible transformation for me. I mean, I went into it thinking I could change them and improve their life. I didn't expect to get so much out of it myself I you know I obviously wanted to add more meaning to my life by doing it but uh, what I got is an incredible family which I didn't expect at all I mean these people were perfect strangers Um, Mm. and my crew of seven I'm so tight we have Christmases and birthdays together Um, we have meals together a few times a week we travel together we go on holiday we do everything and I'm I'm just um, surrounded now by these courageous, happy, inspiring people who I can call my own family. Like, it's been amazing. So my trauma, you know, from my post-traumatic stress disorder has reduced significantly. I used to have so many nightmares. I used to have sleeping pills. I don't need them anymore. I have more belief in myself Mm -hmm. because they have belief in me which is just extraordinary. Um, And I've never had that. I've never had people who believed in my potential either. So for me, I've blossomed. Um, 
I used to be really scared of speaking in public and now that's what I do as a living. I speak to crowds from 25 to 3,000 people as a guest speaker at conferences, mm-hmm. um, which I never thought I'd do in a million years. But mm-hmm. they, they're like, oh, you'll, you'll, you'll knock it out of the park. And to have that is just priceless for me. So I'm incredibly lucky. Well, you've earned it. How has it changed your views about aging, if at all? Oh, huge. I mean, it's, it's definitely made me think about, about how I want to live my life. And the things that I've learned through this process, there's a few key things. One is that I n- make sure that when I'm an older person, I'm, I'm going to do new things that I've never done before in my life. A lot of older people will take up a hobby that they did when they were younger to sort of get that happy feeling back again Mm -hmm. but that can be a double-edged sword because often you're not as good as it when you're older than you were when you're young so they become acutely aware that they're less than their old self that is really demoralizing so by doing something completely new you just get better and better every week so that mentally is so important that you feel that about yourself that you're growing and learning and becoming better at stuff not doing stuff that you were no longer good at when Uh you were better. So that's Uh crucial. Uh, The other thing is that when you're doing something new and you're meeting new people, you use every part of your brain. And so doctors have said that one of the most important mental aerobic exercises you can do is to meet new people and to learn something you've never done before. So that's important. If you can do something with music, that's another really big thing. And I, I'm going to go for, for my life choice is going to be about fulfillment, not about longevity. And it's a decision each of us need to make individually. Do we want to just live a long time and do what the doctors say, which is pretty much just limit your activities to something very sedate? eat the prescribed diet they give you, uh-huh. move into a place where you won't fall over. Do you want to spend the last third of your life living like that? Or do you want to be like my group, which is living it up and taking big risks, going off when you're 94 and you've got a bit of dementia going <laughs> off and backpacking uh-huh. and ready to fall where you fall? Uh, for me, personally, that is the type of life I want to live. And so that's what I'm going to go for. And obviously... We can't all be in control. You know, if we get a a disease or a mental disease or anything like that or condition that limits our decision-making abilities or our freedom, work hard to look at what you can do. Like, I will never, ever say to my dancers, you can't do this or you're going to find this too hard. Um, I just talk about what you can do. So Uh if I have someone who comes in and they're in a wheelchair and they've got a bit of dementia, I'm I'm just going to say, right, you move your arms. That's what they can do. So what's next for you and the dance troupe? So the next thing is that Hollywood have bought the rights to my life story. Hmm. Um, Wow, that's terrific. So they're, they're a top Hollywood film production company and what they're aiming to do is to do a film, you know, based on my life story with a, with a big emphasis on my, you know, my dance group and, uh-huh. and the journey that we've had. And so there'll be, you know, some factual things in there and there'll be fictitious things in there as well. It, it'll be up to them and, the, you know, they have full freedom of how they want to do things. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll just, you know, watch the space and um, wow, I'm looking that's forward so to, exciting. to that. 
Well, it sort of actually doesn't feel real. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, um, they'll they'll put their creative geniuses to the task mm-hmm. and, and see, you know, whatever they create will be delighted with and, um, and will be supporting. And they have treated us so nicely. And so I'm so delighted because they're just what a breath of fresh air and just such lovely people. And, and so it's just a real privilege to, to have the caliber of the people that are going to share some of my story and my group story um, bring you know bring it to the rest of the world. Apart from that, our goal is pretty much world domination. <laughs> <laughs> Just a small I goal. would like, yeah, <laughs> I would like to see senior citizens all over the world living to their fullest potential right until they take their very last breath. So you know, I want my dance academy to be successful in every country in the world to give senior citizens that opportunity to have this extraordinary experience. And there's a big part of it is togetherness. Every dancer has to dance at the same time to the same rhythm. And they have their own spot and their own part. So if they can't make it that day, you know, everybody's at a loss. It doesn't work. So that's been psychologically fantastic. They're needed. Yeah. The other great thing about dealing with the the group dynamics is that, you know, there's a 30-year age gap, you know, between my dancers and... So they come from all different walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they have is their um, recovery time. You know, they still get injuries. I haven't had anyone get an injury while they've been dancing, actually. Mm-hmm. It's been when they're doing other things. Right. And that just happens, you know. But their recovery time is extraordinary. They, like one of them, she broke her pelvis, but she was back dancing six weeks later. Wow. Um, yeah, as I said, another one had a heart attack a few weeks ago. She's currently dancing in Japan. Another one had a stroke and he checked himself out the next day out of hospital. They want to recover to get back into it because mm-hmm. they don't want to they don't want to miss out. You know, it's a bad case of FOMO, you know, fear yeah. of missing out. Right. <laughs> uh, and that's a great cure. It's a great motivator. It's, huh? it's huge motivator and incentive to heal. Um, follow the doctor's instructions and, and go for it. Mm. And so, yeah, that, that's been another surprising Hmm, I'll bet. Out of it. Is this the best no, time of uh, your life? It sounds like it's terrific. <laughs> yeah, my dance group say this is the happiest time of their entire life. Uh-huh. They are liberated. They can do what they like. They can assert themselves in ways that they couldn't do if they had to worry about an employer. And they, you know, their children have left home. They don't have to answer to anyone. And so they have medical problems which they can manage. And they're in an environment with me where I'll make sure that they can be part of everything as long as, you know, as long as they've got a pulse, they're okay. And that's all I ask them to have. That's the only criteria in the group. Well, there's two criteria. You've got to be 65 and over and you have to have a pulse. <laughs> if you have those two things, you're a life member. You're, um, <laughs> you're a life member. I actually asked yeah. if it was the best time of your life. Is it the best time oh, of your Oh, my life? Yes. My life? Well, yeah, gosh, yes, it is, definitely. Uh, you know, I'm surrounded by these amazing people, and it's so much fun, and I feel really connected with the world. I felt so isolated and sort of stranger to the world, really. Mm. I couldn't trust anyone mm. because of my abusive childhood, you know, and I saw a lot of the dark side of life. Now I just go towards the happy side of life and... To me, every day is just about great company and laughing. 
and doing something that may be absurd, but heck, you know, mm. <laughs> you only live once. So it's, it's fantastic. I'm 47 and I, you know, a lot of people go, oh no, I'm over 40 and they dread their birthdays, but I feel so young, you know, I'm less than half the age of my friends. So I've got a great, exciting future ahead of me and I, I never thought I had a future at all. Billy Jordan, she's the founder of the Hip Operation Dance Academy and she's changing the way the world views aging, literally one step at a time. Be sure to check out the AgeWise website for all kinds of links to Billy's terrific work. Billy, thanks so much for being on the show. It was a, truly an honor to chat with you and uh, I wish you all the best. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. The work uh, that you're doing and stories that you're sharing with everyone are fantastic. They're great nourishment for everyone that's looking after someone who, who's older or have older people in their lives. Um, yeah, thanks. We're a special group of people and your work is incredible and well done to you. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Oh, you too. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, Jana Panaritis. So if you'd like to be on the show or just tell us what you think about it, send an email to Jana at agewise.com. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no.